Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back to another episode of Woods and Waters Project Podcast. I am, as always, I'm always pumped about the guests that we have on the podcast, but I just found out about our recent guest. I was racking my brain before this. I cannot remember, and I hope that the person who told me about our guest today is listening and reminds me and tells me, hey, I'm the one who told you about Nick Martin, um, and I'm so sorry to my friend that I know told me about him, but I heard about some of Nick's story and then started following him on social media and then pretty much reached out to him right away and was like, hey, would love to have you on the podcast. And I'm going to have Nick do most of the talking. But Nick, thank you so much for being here. I'm, I'm super pumped to have you. And I'm excited to share your story and get to know you a little bit. No, I appreciate you having me, Steph. And I'm super glad that you reached out to, uh, to kind of hear what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's what I know. So, you know, I've kind of like stalked your, you know, Instagram and stuff a little bit before, before this, but this was a pretty like recent introduction to you. Uh, sometimes I get to kind of really get to know someone's story a little bit more before I ask, but I just was really excited about what you have going on. So here's what I know. And then you can kind of just tell me about it. But one of my friends had said, Hey, you should, you should follow this guy and see what he's doing. He's trying to get a pheasant in all 99 counties in Iowa. And I was like, what? And I was like, instantly followed, instantly reached out to you. And then here we are. Um, but I know there's so much more to your story and more about you. So before we get into that, could you introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So, of course, uh, name's Nick Martin, and I live on the eastern side of the state of Iowa. 
And basically, I'm kind of a lifelong upland hunter here in Iowa. And as I got older, I'm 35 now. So about three years ago, you know, I was just kind of a point to a point in my hunting career where, um, you know, I've kind of gone through the phase of wanting to find birds and pheasants and was in the phase of like, I know where they're where there are pheasants. And so it's fun to get together and go out and hunt and, you know, know that you're most likely going to get into birds on public ground mainly. Um, but I was ready to just kind of challenge myself as a hunter. So uh, I, I didn't travel a lot at that time and still don't travel a ton outside of the state of Iowa, but I've never really gotten out of Iowa other than one South Dakota trip. Uh, when I had started this 99 County um, tour or whatever you'd like to call it. But essentially I wanted to, you know, I never thought, Oh, I, I wouldn't be able to get down to Arizona. I don't know anybody that go that far to do like a quail challenge or anything like that. So I was like, what is something that I could do here locally? Like I said, I wanted to challenge myself as a hunter, but also kind of thinking ah, I'm never going to get to some of these other States um, like the Nebraska slam, things like that. So I was like, Iowa has 99 counties. Maybe I can see if I can find a pheasant in every county in Iowa. So uh, in 2020, I started after that uh, kind of goal so far. So after three hunting seasons, I'm at 29 counties of 99 counties. So I'm trying to get about 10 every year. So this is a goal that, as you can imagine, with 99 counties, is going to you know be another probably six to seven years potentially before I can get it all done. Um, so, so kind of a longer commitment, but it's been fun so far. Yeah, that's, that's super cool. I was, that was what I was going to ask first is like, how long is this going to take you? Because I, you know, <laughs> there are some, yeah, some places that, I mean, there are some counties depending on the land that you're accessing, I guess you could kind of double dip in some areas a little bit. Um, but 99 counties is a lot of counties. Yeah. And of course, when you get into different regions, uh, you know, we have different terrain and things. Of course, Iowa's known for its fantastic deer hunting, but uh, not too often are you going to find a pheasant out there in the deer timber. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you enjoy hunting in general or is really upland hunting more of, of more of what you love? You know, I really enjoy hunting in general. I just recently started deer hunting just a little bit um, in the last, oh, about four years or so. I've gone to Colorado on a couple of public land elk hunts, have not been successful yet. This last year in September, I did have a shot at a seven by seven, but just missed him and was all jittery and just jacked up uh, with a muzzle loader. So that was fun. And then, but my main focus is pheasant and then uh, turkey in the spring. I've never, I've waterfowled just a little bit growing up and I've never shot a goose. I'd like to shoot some geese. That would sound fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say, and we're going to hear my Britney's and their weird little noises in the background. There's just no way around it. So I apologize to everybody. <laughs> but uh, I I would say turkey hunting is probably a top favorite for me. Um, most definitely. And it, with it coming up, I have a very busy turkey season. And I, it, it is probably a consistent favorite. But when you have, oh my gosh. When you have bird dogs, uh, that kind of like rises to the top for me. Like when you have dogs to work with. Well, turkey hunting is definitely a favorite for me. And I I would say like if I didn't have my bird dogs, upland is always something that I absolutely love. But having them makes all the difference. And I don't even, I'm not sure. Do you, do you have one bird dog or do you have, do you have multiple? 
So I have uh, just one wire hair pointing Griffin who's going to turn five this month. And then I'm getting a Llewellyn setter here this year. I'm on a nice. puppy list. And then I usually hunt with my dad who just had a five-year-old griff that we had to put down a couple weeks ago, but he's getting another griff puppy here at the end of April. So kind of got two or three in the arsenal, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Griffs are so, so cool. I think they're really awesome dogs. Um, They've been fun. I, we grew up with like German short hair pointers. So they're, they're a little change, a little bit of a change of pace for us, but it's been good. Yeah. Do you, I mean, I guess like with, with the bird dogs that you have and that you've hunted with, like, do you prefer them for any particular reason? I just, you know, I think it's up to everyone's personal preference and what they, um, you know, personally prefer in the field. Do you want something a little more high energy, um, something that ranges a little further, maybe like a German short hair pointer or where are you at in life? You know, I, I didn't know this when I first got a Griffin, but I've kind of since learned that the Griffins maybe are more um, known to be like a slower working breed. So as you get older and a little later on in your years uh, as upland hunting goes, you may prefer something like a Griffin that isn't going to be out there 150, 200 yards, um, you know, working that far ahead of you when you can't move as fast as you could in your younger years. So I think it's, yeah, kind of all what, really what you prefer in your style and how you like to hunt and do you really like to get out and pound it or do you really just kind of like to take take your time and enjoy the day and and if you get a few birds you get a few birds yeah i uh i've been wanting to actually there's you know a podcast i really love listening to is um it's like it's hunt, hunting dog confidential and yeah yeah and i really enjoy it because they go into a whole bunch of different breeds and like um, the history of them and what they were originally bred for and what they look like now and the, the kind of nuances and differences between them. And I found that like super interesting um, because I, you know, I primarily have either had black labs or Britney's myself. And, but I've, but I've hunted with so many different people and with so many different dogs and yeah. I kind of enjoy them all for what they are, you know, like I definitely, I also am someone who's like hyper passionate and like curious about everything. So I kind of like find the awesomeness and everything a little bit. Um, so I think it would be really hard for someone, especially if they are like me <laughs> to, to choose uh, what kind of bird dog like would be best for me. Cause I, I think it's kind of just what you're introduced to too. Cause how are you even going to know, I guess, like in the beginning, how would you even know? Unless you just get, and I find a lot of, and I find a lot of people typically probably lean towards when they get their first bird dog, or if they've thought back to their first bird dog, I would say more so than not, a lot of people end up getting that first dog that they did see, mm -hmm. um, and then as you get more into upland hunting, you get more into dogs. That kind of transitions a little bit to like you said, learning about these different podcasts that talk about these different breeds and just doing research yourself through online and stuff, talking to other people, hunting with other dogs in the field that you go, okay, maybe I want to try this or that. And something that kind of recently was said to me is, you know, this probably about a year ago, I was going to get a second griff because um, I knew I wanted a second dog once we put our lab down last year. And I was talking to a gentleman and he's like, you know, why, why get another Griffin? You know, you like a Griff, but you're young. Go try a couple other breeds that you like. 
because you might find out that there's something else you like even that much better, but you just never know because you didn't try it. And then as you get older, you know, in your 50s, close to 60, whatever, then you'll kind of know like, okay, I've had a few of these different dogs and, you know, I really like the Griff or I'm getting older and the Griff works better for me at this point in life or whatever it is. And then kind of get maybe one or two of those for, for your final years in the, you know, your last 10 years plus in the field or whatnot. And I was like, that's a really good way to think about it. Cause I was like, well, you know, what if I hunted for 20 more years? And then at the end of it, I'm like, yeah, I just say Griffin's all my life, which a lot of people do do that. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, but to just have that experience of like, oh man, this dog was really good at this. And, you know, yeah, as you know, they all have different personality stuff. So, um, you know, I guess why, why limit myself is, is kind of what they were saying. And, you know, that really opened my eyes. I was like, you know, that, that's kind of good. So I started looking outside that box of Griffins. And um, as you were mentioning, started thinking about, okay, what did I like about the different dogs that I had hunted with, the different breeds that I hunted with, with friends and family and things like that in the field, and just kind of started going through my options there. As far as settling on getting a Llewellyn setter now yeah that's great uh is your Llewellyn Sutter gonna be from Iowa um so um I potentially it'll be coming from out of state they were an originally an Iowa-based kennel that moved um but yeah they're okay. they're out of state yeah gotcha I I was just curious because not to drop another podcast I don't like normally do this but I like to celebrate other podcasters too um setter tales or sweet point setters are friends of mine I've been on their podcast a couple times and um Wade uh Kisner of setter tales uh podcast he was my very first podcast that I had actually uh when I started woods and waters projects but he introduced me to setters and then I've met some friends since then uh that have them and have I'm going to be going hunting with some this weekend actually um so I I love that breed that's one that I've like thought about multiple times of maybe someday getting <laughs> as well um as my Britneys because I have two American Britneys right now uh but yeah no that's that's super cool I was just curious if if they were from if, if they were from here yeah, no, they're from, they'll be from Kansas, I believe. Gotcha. So I've been talking it, to a couple of people, so that's why I hesitate is there, it yeah. might end up coming from <laughs> Iowa, but sure. I'm kind of finalizing, you know, my options here. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I gotcha. I gotcha. Uh, well, and, and for me, you know, right now, like I don't have like this big, um, if I had like an acreage, and a big kennel I would probably have I'd probably have a dog for everything that I like to hunt probably and then maybe like multiple breeds within that if I could if I could do that I think I totally would but my two Britneys that can like sleep in bed with me and on the couch and not have to have this like huge space and I can you know are perfect for me right now um so in your 99 counties like travel like do you do you have a strategy going forward on how you're going to attack the other 70 of them? Or is it kind of just like, as you go through the season, do you have, do you have a plan? And also I might be assuming wrong, but does every County even have pheasants in Iowa? Like, how do you know, what does that look like for you? 
So I haven't done, uh, you know, enough extensive research into the 99 counties have pheasants. I have reached out to Todd Bogenschutz, our wildlife biologist, on the upland side of things for the state. And, um, you know, he kind of thinks that potentially there's definitely that option. Now, um, there's so many, we could, we could almost spend an hour podcast talking about the different elements that are involved in this, because one of the, one of the challenges is, um, bird population. Obviously with me doing this over a number of years, those bird numbers are going to go up and down. So as right now, bird numbers are doing pretty decent in Iowa. It's one of those things where Todd was kind of saying, you know, those are the years that you need to focus on some of those harder counties. Now, what are those harder counties? I, I got to figure that out through research. And I've kind of learned a little bit over the last three seasons now of hunting a little bit around the state. Um, but that's kind of one way to that I'm going to attack that. Now, I'm still kind of so new into the project that when, you know, the first two years and even really last year, we're talking 99 counties. So that's a lot of ground. That's a lot of space. So it's kind of been like, um, what, what does time allow for me? So, um, yeah, I've been checking off a lot of counties. I'm based out of Lynn County, Iowa. So I've knocked off almost everybody about two hours around us so far. And then I'll take other little trips for two, three, four days at a time and try to maybe hit other pockets of the state and kind of learn and scout and all that stuff while I'm on the road. And most of my scouting and everything done is, is mainly done through like e-scouting because of course I can't travel and be everywhere. I mean, it would literally be a full-time job year round if you wanted it to be or could afford mm -hmm. for it to be. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's slowly transitioning to where I need to be a little more strategic about it, but still at only 29 of 99, I don't want to say only, cause that's, that's quite a bit, but yeah. at that point, um, you know, it's still kind of just like where, what does time allow? Where can I go? And then on top of that, um, now this next upcoming season kind of focusing and gearing more towards um, keep the momentum going get into some counties where you know there's some good numbers so you're knocking some counties off the list but at the same time get into those harder areas that are going to be a little more difficult to to potentially find some birds and and I hope it doesn't get to this I mean I would love to do all 99 on public land but if it ever gets to a point you know where I'm at 93 of 99 in those last seven counties I I got to tell a story about how I, you know, door knocked on a farmer's land and had, you know, how do you build a relationship with someone on private ground and then getting in there and just shooting one bird? Because it's not like I'm trying to get a, get a limit by any means. Um, mm -hmm. So hopefully if, if it were worst case scenario to get to a point like that, um, I, I may potentially have to go that route. But we'll just kind of see over the next six to seven. I'd really like to get this wrapped up in the next six years. Um would would really be awesome seven max and that would that'd be kind of basically right at the tail end of my griffin's life who i started this with so that'd be kind of neat if yeah even if be... she was still in the truck and not in the field or she could somehow just still be around for the finish of it that'd be pretty special yeah that would be awesome or how are you documenting this so um mainly like through a lot of pictures i post in the off season not as much but like throughout the season i'm constantly posting like daily stuff on my stories because i'm self-employed i do home inspections for a living so our season gets busy in the summer and kind of ties up with the real estate market um so as far as that goes you know november december january things slow down quite a bit for us which allows me to spend quite a bit of time in the field um, I think this last year I spent over 60 days 
um, just in the fall hunting. So I was, I was very fortunate and lucky enough to, um, to have time to do that. So that's kind of, kind of where the, um, on top of the passion work allows me to, to get out and be able to do this. Cause of course, if I didn't have that option, this would probably take me 20 plus years to complete. Yeah, no kidding. And I think that would be super cool if you, I mean, you know, whatever, it, anyway, it, however it works out for you, I think it's, 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 it's awesome. Um, but yeah, to have the same bird dog with you, I think would be really special. I think that'd be very, very cool. Um, I actually, one of my, earlier podcast episodes was with an awesome guy named Adam Pecht and I don't know if you know the book A Hunter's Road by yep. chance so um Hunter's Road for people who don't know or haven't listened to that previous podcast episode um this gentleman has kind of like an accidental bird dog it's a it's a lab uh, I think its name is, is Sweets I think um and him and his like accidental bird dog travel all over the country and he documents it and goes to these different states and goes to, you know, goes after all these different upland birds, like pheasants, quail, grouse, you know, kind of prairie chickens, everything. And previous episode, uh, Adam, he was kind of like, re- he was like replicating that journey um, and living out of his vehicle with his lab and uh doing photography along the way and it was super cool it was so it was so inspiring and like I love the dynamic between someone like like Adam's episode he was going all over the country and living out of his vehicle and photography was kind of like paying his way photography and like marketing for companies was paying his way through this trip and how you're like staying in Iowa I think that's so great because I, I like celebrating the differences of that because as someone who I love to travel but um, I was my home and I always like I, I hunt everything Iowa has to offer. You know, there's not anything that I don't or haven't hunted in the state of Iowa. But sometimes, you know, I, I, t- I try to do like a trip a year, either with my dogs or something um, hunting or fishing related in a different state. But there are plenty of things that even though I've been hunting them my whole life in Iowa, I could definitely get better at. You know what I mean? Like I could be a better deer hunter, for example. I could definitely be a better pheasant hunter than I am I could definitely be a better turkey hunter so I like I like the dynamic of both because everyone's kind of motivated by different things and also I think it's awesome that you're showing like what you can do in your own state and what's available to you I I love it I think it's I think it's really great well that's what's been neat is it's just kind of transitioned to slowly transitioned to now people have kind of heard about the story and, you know, I've slowly just become this unassigned ambassador for upland hunting of <laughs> Iowa, as it seems like, because especially out-of-state hunters, um, they'll reach out to me quite a bit, just kind of asking, you know, not even for hot spots, but just general tips and what kind of habitat to look for and what, you know, what it, what what's your opinion on this or that? And that's kind of been fun to get to know those people and um, also just quick touched on what you had just mentioned Steph is uh Adam I do know Adam very well we're good friends and that is an awesome uh adventure so if anyone has time check his stuff out and see what he's doing 
and of course take a look at uh his journey he had across the united states hunting uplands because that's that's very awesome but um adam's father actually i've been gracious enough to get to know him pretty well so now we've gone down to kansas the last two years and hunted and we did south dakota last year and we're supposed to do south dakota this year but we had like four feet of snow up there so everybody kind of bailed on that so the peck family is just there's some awesome people and um bunch of bunch of diehard upland hunters so um definitely check out what adam's doing and then i forgot to mention earlier um you were asking me about documenting it i also post on youtube all my counties so uh, that's another element of it is i'm trying to record every pheasant i shoot on public land um so that's kind of the the main way that I document it, but it seems like most of the traffic and people that pay attention and have found out through me is, is through that Instagram channel. Yeah, that's cool. What a small world. Cause so Adam, so I had him on my podcast and then <clears throat> during his travels, he was coming to Iowa and he ended up going to Highland in Riverside. Yep. yep. Um, <clears throat> Worked with Katie there. And... Yeah. So Kate and I went, hunting with him and his dad his dad met us in iowa yeah and the four yep. of us Tom was up here, yeah. yeah and they brought all their dogs and he did a bunch of like if anyone's ever seen like my instagram or facebook profile picture like adam took that picture a lot of like my upland photo like some of my like upland photos i've shared of myself um adam took those photos of me and um so it was just so cool and his dad and his dad met him there you know with his dog and it, that was that yep. was just such a cool experience i i would I only met his dad the one time, um, but he was really fun to hunt with. And that that's such a crazy small world. I had no idea you even knew him. That's awesome. Yeah. No, Tom, Tom's awesome. How cool. I tell people all the time, like, I, I used to say this when I was younger, how small of a world the hunting world is, but it is like even smaller than that. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, it is. is. It really is. And then when you start talking, uh, you know, and you just kind of put yourself out there and what you're doing, um, it just seems like it gets even smaller. And then you go to events like Pheasant Fest and things like that, and you start getting faces put to names that you've talked to online. And it's just like, oh man, it's crazy, in a good way. Yeah. No. I. I. I think it's pretty much a great thing. Um. I think it's really important, you know, I reiterate this with, because I do a lot of teaching um, to adults and kids and trying to reiterate, you know, obviously be a good person, but like try to take care of and help your fellow hunter and like be good to them, be gracious with them, be supportive of them, obviously, unless they're doing something unethical or illegal, but try to put them in the right spot. But I think it's really important to build those relationships up and, and whether you're a turkey hunter or a pheasant hunter, a deer hunter, you know, lion hunter, whatever, like to have some sort of support for each other because it is much such a small group of people and like we kind of need each other, you know, um, and 100%. If, you, if you don't treat each other well, like that goes that goes through that. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? the word will get around if you're not a very nice person. Oh yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> so I think, I think that's really, I think that's really important to just obviously be a good ethical, honest person and hunter. But um, this industry is just so small. It's just kind of, it's just wild to me. Oh my gosh. When you get in these niches of like upland or like when I do like women's events and stuff, just 
how the people you'll know from across the country as the same person you're in a room with is just so crazy to me. Crazy to me. Um, how, uh, so when you started this, was it like inspired by something in particular? Like what was the, what was the be like, yeah, I'm going to do this. What, what was that deciding factor for you? Which is kind of a, you know, as I was saying earlier, the, just not at that time, not knowing a ton of other upland hunters. I don't have a lot of personal friends that enjoy upland hunting or want to get into it or have the means to do it. Um, you know, that's our excuse, right? Like we all, we yeah. all have the means if we want to make it a priority, <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. um, and I'm teasing those guys, but kind of what drove it was I you know I had at that time had never gone to Kansas had only went to South Dakota one time with my dad and we each shot one bird over five days like we saw some birds but we were just like this this is very different from Iowa which which I grew so much just alone on that trip as a pheasant hunter because I went I left Iowa like so narrow-minded and was like a pheasant likes a b and c I mean a pheasant's a pheasant in any state well every state's a little different as far as how their habitat's laid out and the different resources they have and uh, the walking programs and all that stuff so it was like oh man like they're not just isolated in one area so it was just a huge learning curve for us um and so that's just the main thing that inspired it and then through doing this and putting myself out there i've met people like the peck family in hunt ready it was a vest that i just purchased and yeah um, i love them yes yep so just kind of yes. got in touch with them and was able to go out uh chucker and sharpie and grouse hunting with them just this last october in montana for 10 days um so i've just really been able to uh, meet a lot of people which has provided me with a lot more opportunities i didn't think yes. i had so it originally started as yeah i didn't think i'd really ever because I, I would never go to montana by myself for 10 days and sleep in a yeah. tent and do that yeah. i would love to do that but i just not that i don't have the balls to do it so to speak but it's just like i i don't know I, yeah, it's inti- that's I would rather spend that's time with other people. Well, yeah. not only that, but I just enjoy being around other people, not even in large groups. But it's like if you're going to go to Montana for ten days, yeah, that's awesome, or even a week with you and your dog. I mean, that's great. And some guys are probably like, "Dude, that's my dream. What are you talking about?" But I love friends. I love camaraderie, and to be out there and share that with a few other people just makes it that much more special, in my opinion. So, yeah. um, so as I as I was kind of saying, now it's turned turned into um unofficially you know people just reach out with questions and things like that as far as um upland hunting in iowa and and you get a few people that will talk about hungarian partridge and quail which i know almost minimal about in iowa so unfortunately i can't provide much feedback on that um so that's kind of made it fun as this project has slowly just taken on kind of a beast of its own and gone in that direction of people cheering me on but not only that um, kind of paying attention to what are we doing in the state of Iowa as far as DNR and habitat acquisition and um, opportunities for outdoor um, access in general. So for deer, turkey, like you were saying, fishing, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's been fun. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I, uh, <clears throat> I have a couple of thoughts that want to get out of my mouth at the same time. So do you do you know Edgar Castillo? Yep, yep. So he was with us at Pheasant Fest last year, helping out at the Hunt Ready booth with us. He's great. Yeah, he he is he has been um, on my podcast as well, and we have stayed in touch for a while. 
Um, he, I, he always is like, whatever, when I say this, but he really inspires me and pushes me. I love to write. And he was one of the first people I had really talked about. Like, I'd really like to write for some hunting magazines, you know, but I don't know why I'm not. I just don't put myself out there. And he really inspired me and pushed me to do that. Um, and so, you know, now I've written for a couple blogs and magazines and I, you know, I wrote, but I really like am grateful for Edgar because I felt like he really helped me and pushed me to do that. Um, and we had a really great episode. It was so, it was so good. Um, his story was awesome and I just adore him. I think he's just a really positive influence in the upland hunting world. Um, but I figured when you said hundred percent and his backstory too. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, and then just in regards to him, motivation, motivating people and things like that. I mean, yeah. Anytime you have questions and kind of a similar story to myself, I've done a little bit of writing for some Iowa magazines now this last year. And that was all because of Edgar and what he um, was kind of pushing me to do. And, and That's uh, so great. The, the Edgar, thing about him is you. he wants to share it. We do. We do. And the gracious thing about him is, you know, he's just so willing to share his his wealth of information that he has. And I don't mean that lightly. I mean, it is a wealth of information that mm -hmm. that guy has, not only on upland hunting, but writing um, and that in that whole industry and world. Um, so he's just a huge resource and super responsive. I, I don't I don't think I've ever come across anybody that's had anything negative to say. And so if you ever have questions or anything in that regards hunt birds is his hunt mm -hmm. underscore birds with a z at the end is his instagram handle uh sorry edgar but yeah i try to like i have truly just um you know most of the guests i've had on my podcast i really didn't know them very well before having them on the podcast and I want to reiterate like something you said earlier too about, you know, you putting yourself out there and traveling like to different counties in Iowa and how it just kind of, it really like grew from there and you met people and it provided you opportunity that you didn't probably even see it providing you. Like how is hunting my state I live in, you know, going to provide me opportunity to do all these other things. But I feel the same way about the podcast, like starting a, I feel, you know, there are so many reasons to start a podcast, but just in itself, if you have a podcast subject that's on your heart and you think that you could do it, even short term, long term, whatever, talking to people who love what you love or are inspired by what you're inspired by and learning from them and connecting with them can create so much opportunity for you that you don't even know that you have available to you you know and I feel like podcasting was the same way with me as like you putting yourself out there um with the 99 counties like I've met people like Adam and Edgar and so many other guests and been inspired by them learned from them hunted with them you know have done some cool things uh that I didn't even like know I could do um I think that's what is so cool for anyone listening if if you know, traveling and hunting or like getting started or doing a podcast or anything like that is on your heart. Um, you know, I, I encourage people to give it a go because some cool stuff's going to happen, even if they don't do it for the long term, you know, but that's just my little soapbox. I think that's great. Well, and I will say just to touch on that, I think that stuff is all, all awesome. And, um, but I do think there's a little, there's, there's a lot of truth to what you said. 
which is positive, but there's some negative to that. And I'll, and this is yeah. kind of my Let me theory have on that is <laughs> I thought about this myself because it kind of it's kind of bummed me out is sure. I, I am nobody special. Nick Martin, the Iowa bird chaser. I, I have a day job. I, I'm nobody special. So the fact that I decided to put myself out there, like you said, has provided me with opportunities. So, no, that's no fault to myself. But at the same time, it's like, how come because I put myself out there now I'm provided with these opportunities? So my point in that is, is I think we need to all remember as hunters to reach out to people that you know that maybe haven't had a certain opportunity. If you're going to South Dakota and you got an extra seat in the truck, maybe reach out to that friend that only has pheasant hunted a few times before and be like, hey, man, we're going out here for three, four days. You want to come along and maybe try to reach out and provide some opportunities to those people that don't have a podcast or aren't on social media or things like that. Um, because, you know, we all need to provide opportunities to learn and grow from each other to become better and more responsible hunters and conservationists. And um, I think the number one way, way we do that is through learning and through being around each other and being around responsible other hunters. And so definitely, um, like you said, I, I'm very gracious and I know you are too, Steph, of the opportunities that we've both had through kind of putting ourselves out there. But at the same time, let's try to, you, you know, you and myself and everyone else, try to do the best we can to continue to get others in the field with us, um, whether they have a social uh, media presence or not. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I do. I feel that to my, to my bones. Well, that's like, I mean, that's my, um, that's my whole thing with, with everything that I'm doing is, um, so I don't think anything about anything you said is negative at all. I think that is very no, true. Yeah, and I, I and I, and I, uh, I think it's all about like pass, you know, if the elevator takes you up, make sure you push, push it back, you know, send it back down. Like you need to bring people up with you. And well, uh, and I think, I think that's interrupt you, but I think, yeah, I just before I forget, cause I got ADD. Um, I think part of that is in why, why it is that way is once people, I mean, social media is kind of fake in the sense of you put yourself out there. So people think they know who you are. Right. So once yes. they think that they know that you're a good person, they're willing to want to share information with you. Cause that's something we yeah. haven't really touched on, but now that yeah. my yeah, yeah. story has gotten out there, people will reach out and be like, Hey, when you get to this County, give me a call. I'd love to like come hunt with you. And <laughs> um, I've slowly learned through the past couple seasons, I can't do this myself. So no, I never get like, there's a pheasant going to be right here in this place. But this last season, I started hunting with just some random strangers and, you know, kind of trying to provide that opportunity back of like, Hey, you think my story is cool. You want to be a part of these 99 counties. Let's see if we can get other people to be, you know, Steph's part of Johnson County or whatever now, because I, at the end of the day, this isn't about me. This is about pheasant hunting. This is about Iowa in trying to challenge yourself as a hunter. So I hope when this is all said and done that it lives on longer than just Nick Martin. It's just, it's kind of what I just said it is. It's the legacy of, of challenging yourself and just growing as a hunter. Um, but unfortunately, I think that's just kind of that, that element of why those opportunities get provided to you is people get this false sense of, um, you know, We lost him. Hopefully he signs back in here. <clears throat> here he is. Welcome back. <laughs> Sorry, somebody was calling me and I tried to cancel it. I picked up the call. 
But anyway, that's what I was saying. I just think that's a byproduct of putting yourself out there in a positive way is that uh, people see that and then they want to share opportunities with you, which there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, just just forget about don't forget about those other people. Yeah, no, I think that's super important. And that is like what very much motivates me. And I love hearing you say that because, um, you know, hunting has been a part of my life since I can remember. and. one of the things that I'm really motivated by is I didn't have, I had a couple family members, you know, but I didn't have very many friends growing up that did any of this. And I really didn't have very many friends who wanted to do it to even close to the level I wanted to, to do it until the last like five years of my life. And I got these friends from, I teach a lot of intro classes and I mentor a lot of people and I've like mentored my friends, you know, to like, be hunters and like do this stuff and or they became my friends from me mentoring them um and it has brought me a lot of joy in my life and a lot of fulfillment to pass it on and to um kind of like create that from you know on the selfish side for myself too right like I have buddies I can talk about oh, this sure. stuff with and do yeah. this with but also like I know that I helped bring something else into their life. And my, my big thing, you know, I, so my full-time job, I um, am the Iowa program coordinator with a nonprofit called Pass It On Outdoor Mentor. So I coordinate hunts and fishing events for kids across the state of Iowa. Um, And so I pair them with mentors um, from all over the state and get them out hunting and fishing. And so um, I coordinate it, but I also mentor a lot uh, with the youth. And then on the side with Woods and Waters Project, I do women's events um, and mentor and do workshops and stuff like that. So yes, yes, yes. To every single thing you're saying, because I'll tell you like the, the highlights of my life have been, um, like I've been coaching archery for like five years and, uh, are when I get a woman or a kid, it doesn't matter. Um, anybody. And they're, they go to hold a bow for the first time and they're not even sure how to like hold it. And they're like, maybe even a little bit embarrassed and they're like kind of unsure of themselves. Um, and then you give them like, you get like an hour with them and teaching them like the basics and what they need to do. And then they like are so, um, pleased by the sound of the arrow hitting that target. And then maybe they get their first bullseye. And then by that next second hour, they're so confident walking up to the line, they're paying attention to their form. They're pulling the bow back, right. And they're so excited to do it again. And it really has nothing to do with the archery itself. It has everything to do with like the confidence and empowerment you see in that person. And I think that is what's so like beautiful about it. Like why, even for yourself, if you want to look at it as a selfish reason, why you should help other people is because when you get to sit back and watch that happen for someone, it's such a cool feeling. It is such a good feeling. Like, um, I don't know. Anyway. No, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And to be, yeah, I just, there's lots of good people in the industry. And so it's just, it's really cool. Um, do you, so outside of Iowa, like when it comes to Upland and so you were talking about Kansas and South Dakota and, um, and Montana and traveling and everything. Is there like a type of Upland hunting that you're kind of like, maybe like on the side addicted to (laughs) outside of pheasant hunting? I was going to say, I mean, of course, obviously my GM, I got to be pretty darn crazy about pheasants to want to commit to a nine to 10 year project. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I go into Kansas a few times uh, this last year. I did get into a covey of quail in Iowa and then being in Montana this last fall hunting Hungarian partridge out there. 
um, and Sharpies as well. They're kind of, they're a covey bird. I've been exposed in these last two seasons to more covey birds and uh, chucker as well in Montana. So it was like, um, you know, seeing a covey rise, I, I get it. I get it. I get why a lot of people are addicted to the quail and the huns and the Sharpies and gosh, chucker hunting is freaking hard as heck, but addicting is all get out <laughs> in my opinion. Um, th- that's fun. That's fun. I've done a little grouse hunting up in Wisconsin as well, grouse and woodcock. So I've kind of now in these last three years, I've dabbled in a few different species and, and I would say those, those covey birds are, are pretty darn fun. If you would ask me a year ago, I would have actually told you woodcock, believe it or not, because their <laughs> flight patterns are pretty erratic and they're relatively easy to kill if you can get at least a BB on them. But uh, yeah, I, I would say right now I'm, I'm kind of like, oh man, now, now I want to get to Arizona and do like a quail slam or something like that. Yeah. And I was telling you before we hit record that this, this coming fall, and I haven't said this out loud to anybody yet. So Nick, you're the first person and now everyone in podcast mm-hmm. world that listens. <laughs> but yeah, I really am motivated to do the Upland Slam in Nebraska next year with my dogs. Um, I, I'll even probably add that in the notes so people can see what that is and make sure to share all your social stuff so people can follow your journey too. But um, yeah, I was hearing about the Upland Slam in Nebraska and how you can actually like, they the state of Nebraska has a spot where you can track it. So you can like prove that you did it and then you can track it for your dogs too. So both you and your dog can get like a certificate <laughs> of like your That's upland awesome. slam in Nebraska. And they, I thought that was really cool, you know, and it's not too far away. And it was really be, cool. Yeah. And you have to do it in one season. Um, Cause it's, it's a sharp tail pheasant quail and um, a prairie chicken. So um right yeah I think it says four yeah I think you're right and, yeah. yeah and I have really wanted a prairie chicken hunt I know that sounds maybe goofy to some people but I just I think they're so cool uh well so, and I wanted to get one I mean selfish we talk, if you want to talk yeah. about being selfish I that's one that like I want to get this year if anyone's listening and would love to take me prairie chicken hunting because <laughs> it's only a matter of time before they I think they're on the endangered species list potentially so yeah go shoot go shoot one now. <laughs> for you know help get them on the list quicker no i mean but i'm i'm kind of working on a wall selfishly in my home i have a wall of taxidermy so i'm kind of slowly now working on every upland bird i just decided that recently so um i got quail hun sharpie pheasant so i need to get a prairie chicken up there yeah i okay now i don't want to i i am I am not 100% positive, okay? And people will probably think I'm an idiot, but I'm, I am, I really think I saw what I saw, okay? So I went to Kansas last year turkey hunting with a coworker, all right? And there were, um, we were in like the Flint Hills of Kansas and I got to see some prairie chickens, okay? And like they were flying all over the place or whatever, but we were turkey hunting. Um, yeah. And so then when I got home, not long after that, I took my dogs out on a run and we were like in this, we were, they were getting into this like little stretch of timber, um, off of this field and this bird flew out and busted in front of our faces. And I don't know if it's one of those things because I just saw the prairie chickens, but I am pretty positive it was a prairie chicken. (laughs) 
<laughs> and That's I cool. in Iowa and I I am I am pretty positive that is what I saw. And I think we had them here years ago. Right. I mean, it's not. I know it's not impossible. Like they were yeah. where they were located where I was at one point. So um I don't know. But I don't know if it was one of those things like my mind made me see it because I just got back from Kansas. But um I am pretty positive that I did. Pretty positive. That's I, Yeah, I think they're so cool. I think they're all really cool. I just got into grouse hunting the last couple of years and I man, if grouse hunting was a thing in Iowa really, I mean it kind of used to be, but if it really was, I would oh my gosh, I would love it. Love it. Yeah, and they're I think um actually Pheasants Forever's habitat wildlife biologist or or don't nobody quote me on this, but they might be trying to work with some local farmers up in northeast Iowa to, you know, by no means are we going to bring the population back overnight. But the big reason Iowa lost grouse, if people don't know, is um, they started doing tim quit doing timber cuts. So you need to cut down old mature timber. And I don't know a ton about grouse, but they say what seven to 10 year old trees are what you need mm-hmm. in a specific kind of tree. And uh, so we just lost that habitat. And so uh, they're working with some local farmers, I believe, to try to get into some of their farms to do some small timber cuts to just try to do anything they can to start tipping that scale back in that other direction. That's amazing. Yeah, that would be so great. Like even even just not hunting them to just see them like come back or I mean, that would just that would just be so cool. I, I know a lot of people um with quail in particular my family is like this that if we see a quail hear them like we're not even we'd love to see them but we're not touching them we're not hunting them um because they're just they're so far and few between um at least where you know i live in iowa and where my family's from um it's just one of those things like we love to see them we want to see them come back but we're just not we're not hunting them (laughs) because there might be one covey and like a county <laughs> you know yeah that you hear yep. about so um i would love to see them all come back that would be pretty special it would be great they just seem so much more fragile i mean we know pheasants we have one bad winter and that can do a number on them but the quail just seem that much and obviously they're a much smaller bird but i would know, love to touch and go. I would love to have an episode on the podcast about some of the history of pheasant hunting in Iowa too. And I'm sure you have learned a lot, like just from research and talking to people and what Iowa used to be, because I know well, I have a book sitting in front of me. It's the ring necked pheasant in Iowa. Yeah. It's an actual book that you can, um, it's an older book that you can actually purchase, but I've read through it and it has a ton of, uh, information. It, um, it talks about how way back in the way back in the day they used to work with farmers and plant pheasant eggs and stuff like that um, across the state. It's just stuff that people would never know that that they did. It's super interesting. I love stuff like that. I just when we before we hit record, you and I were talking a little bit, and I was telling you how I had um, my little brother's girlfriend with me in the vehicle, and we were up in Northwest Iowa. And I don't want to like give this, you know, like this away too much, but I also do because it was just so awesome. So we were on our way to go ice fishing um, and like the last hour of our drive. Okay. There were every field we drove by the entire last hour before we got there, every field we drove by, whether it was the left or the the left or the right side of the road, uh, 
there were hundreds of pheasants and she is brand new to hunting and fishing and um i'm actually taking her pheasant hunting for the first time this weekend actually at a preserve that's awesome and yeah i'm super pumped it's gonna be like yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be great but um i i just kept telling her like look at this appreciate this because there were nick there were hundreds of pheasants hundreds of them for like an you know an hour drive there were just we would look you know every few minutes we'd look and there'd be more and i was like wow like if this is what if this is even a glimpse of what it used to be like in Iowa that is just amazing to me because where I live on the eastern side I see pheasants every day but I see like a few you know like I might see like three or five which yeah that makes me super happy to see that many just driving by but hundreds of them it was mind-blowing to me it was so cool no, they have some good numbers up there. I mean, I think that's 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 well known. I mean, you can see it even on the roadside reports that comes out every year. It's no secret in Iowa um, on where the population is. But as you'll make note, there's a lot of birds and it's after season. So they survived. And that's one. Um, there's a few counties up in that corner that have been my nemesis I've gone to every year. And I've, like you said, seen a lot of pheasants, but to get one pinned down and to get on one. Now, granted, I've hunted a lot of those by myself, but um, those birds up there get very smart and they get educated really quick because they get a lot of pressure. And you get a lot of blue platers from Minnesota that come out down over the border um, and kind of double dip, which that's that's no disrespect to them. I do the same thing if I lived in that area. Um, so they definitely get a lot of pressure, but they they have they have some birds to handle some of that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty neat. But like you had mentioned, I mean, growing up even in the nineties, which I know we weren't in the heyday of birds then, but yeah, that's, we used to see that on the Eastern side of the state a little more when I was growing up, but yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. I know it was really, it was just really, really neat. And, um, just as someone who I love hunting, I love working my dogs, but I also love, you know, like we've talked about a couple times already. I just love seeing like populations thrive, you know, and in a healthy way and animals like coming back. And, um, you know, as someone who, you know, turkey hunting, that's like another whole like thing, but you know, where I live, the turkey numbers are down. Um, I've heard that they're doing better throughout the state this year in general. Um, but you know, there just really wasn't a lot of toms, uh, this last turkey season. Um, and, whether I hunt them or not, like I, I do care about that. You know, I want to see those animals thrive, uh, and do well. Um, so I think, I think that's something as a hunter, you know, there's like kind of the journey of a hunter and like how you change and grow and what inspires you and makes you passionate. I think changes as you, you know, as you go, like, I, I love looking up those reports, like you're talking about, like just any public information, doing the research, knowing the history, that stuff I didn't care about when I was younger, but I really care about that stuff now. Um, not that that happens to everybody, but I feel like there is like, you just kind of change and what inspires you or motivates you just changes as you go. So it'll be interesting to hear how you are in six years with your journey and what, what changes for you with that. Yeah. You know, I would imagine when I get to that point, I'll kind of be ready. You know, as you said, you transition as a hunter, I'm sure I'll be ready to kind of get to more of a mentorship phase, slow down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. You say that, and then maybe... You say that, but you don't yeah. know. Yeah, you Maybe up in know. Alaska hunting ptarmigan. ptarmigan. Uh, how cool would that be? <laughs> I hope you are. Whatever. Awesome. Whatever. Yeah. Like, do you have, like, a dream hunt? Do you have Do you have one of the... A few? 
<laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I've never really thought about it to be honest. If I've, I guess no one's really ever asked me, so I haven't really thought about it. Well, now you have to think about it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, my my, I kind of fulfilled. Uh, I got a taste of chucker hunting this last year. I mean, I've wanted to chucker hunt for a long time um and we we got into just a few so i mean i just got my toes wet um but if i could get into like idaho or wyoming or something like that and, and see some big covey flushes of of chucker um i think that would be that would be pretty dang that would be pretty dang cool and of course like alaskan ptarmigan hunt i mean of course that would be the ultimate Yeah, absolutely. There's not anything that I wouldn't have said absolutely to. I think it all sounds pretty great. Like I, I used to never think I would ever be a raccoon hunter, you know, and then the last few years I've, you know, I did a raccoon hunting competition with a coon hound and I write about coon hunting now and I love it and I have such an appreciation for it. Um, and so I don't know. I kind of love it all <laughs> to be honest. Oh, that's great. Um, well, and I'm okay. the same way and you get to a point as I'm sure you are, Steph, where you guys start saying, oh, my goodness, okay, what are my priorities going to be? Right. <laughs> where do I want to focus yeah. my time? Because I only have so much of it. Yeah, it it is hard. And I I appreciate people, again, for, like, if there's someone who wants to be, like, an expert in one thing versus someone who kind of wants to do it all, I, I appreciate both because I feel like I'm transitioning a little bit because I've done – um, because I've been hunting a long time and I do love it all. I feel like I'm probably never going to stop fully doing it all because I just find so much joy in it. Um, but when you have a dog that kind of forces you to, um, or motivates you to continue to get better at that, you know, and I, because it's the, it's fair <laughs> for your dog and for you to just do the best you can at that. Yep. Um, but I also really love turkey hunting and I would love to, um, so like a turkey grand slam is one of my biggest hunting goals, uh, just in my life. And then I've started to follow, uh, chasing 49 on Instagram. And it talks about like tactics for hunting Turkey in all 49 States that have turkeys. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, that cool. like what I know. I'm like, maybe whether I hit that in my lifetime or not, it would just be something I think I'm really motivated to learn about and like become a better scouter and just turkey hunt all over i just think it sounds great so then once you finish your six years left of pheasant hunting now you can do 99 counties of turkey hunting <laughs> oh woo. that'd be a challenge <laughs> i thought tennessee a tennessee turkey hunt would be a blast that is something <laughs> i've always wanted to do is get down to like tennessee and do turkey hunting there but yeah, yeah i could get out and do some different species um because we just have what easterns here yeah, just Easterns, yep. Yeah, so to get like an Osceola and uh, the other one would be pretty cool. Yeah, so there's... Which one has the white tail? So there's... The more lighter Mer tail. Merriam's and then Rio's have like a tan. Um, yeah. And then Osceola's are, you know, they're oscillate, yeah. or then there's an oscillated one that's in a different country. And you can also get Goulds, uh, which are um, sometimes in Arizona, New Mexico, but they're in Mexico. Um but in Nebraska, if you go to Nebraska, so I actually have been writing this down a lot and I just like, I wasn't even going to share any of this, but I'm going to now. And so I talked about the Upland Slam in Nebraska that I want to do. Well, 
Um, Nebraska also has, and a lot, I think a lot of people who turkey hunt know this, but Nebraska, there's sections in Nebraska where you can get three of the four North America turkeys. So you can get Rio Marians and Easterns in Nebraska in one area. Um, oh, wow. Nebraska. So if you, you know, and people know about it. So you have to have a good strategy going into it and a plan, obviously, as you should for any type of hunting anyway. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, so Nebraska is really is where it's at for me this next year. Like I'm going to do some bird chasing in Nebraska in 2023. You're going to be a little Nebraska expert. I Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be great. I'd love to. <laughs> that'd be awesome. By the time um, you're done. Yeah. I, I hope so. Hope maybe, I don't know. We'll see either way, whatever I get or I don't, I genuinely love the hunt, you know? And, um, so are you, and you're counting, so you're 29 counties that you've done. Those are actually like you harvested a rooster, right? Yeah. So that's okay. shot it, harvested it. Uh, yep. yeah. Cause we, we haven't talked about all the counties I've missed in. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I could be oh, well yeah, beyond. Yeah, I do you have well more... beyond twenty nine. How uh, many have I you had? I missed six last season. Um, sick, you know, the gun didn't do something right, or you just missed, or I have a Franke, so sometimes it just like sticks and doesn't go off quite right. Franke affinity, semi-auto. So yeah, I would say in the last three seasons, I easily could have probably tallied on another another ten to twelve. Really? This last year was was by far, you know, birds getting up way in front of you. So, you know, kind of going back to what we touched on earlier, there's all sorts of variables <laughs> that that go into to achieving this yeah, on top yeah. of just finding the pheasant and shooting the pheasant. You know, um, a lot of people have asked, does your dog need to hold a perfect point? Oh, by by no means hunting public land and running wild birds. You're not going to get a perfect hard point every single time. I mean, we, we get that, of course, but you're not going to get that on every single flush and if you're waiting and not going to shoot a bird until your dog holds point well good luck it's going to take you 99 years to do 99 counties oh, if, if i'm you even so it, glad you know. that you said that <laughs> i really am that was very- publicly in hunting like let's be real <laughs> so okay so are all the 29 are those all public land yeah yep okay so i'm not okay. going to quit doing it on public land like i said if i get to a point where i'm like I'm just getting old myself and I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm not going to be around much longer. Like I need to start door knocking on some farmer's ground. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to stick to my guns and do this all on public land. Perfect. Um, I love it. And, and the other element of that is, you know, I'm not public land doesn't mean I see one in a ditch. So I pull over and shoot it real quick. So there's that other element of I'm filming and putting all this on YouTube. So you can see exactly me getting out of the truck to when I walk into the field and harvest the bird. Um, there was one county I did shoot one out of a ditch, but I did a big circle, pushed him out of a food plot. They ended up being in the ditch. So as I was coming back to my truck, I flushed one and shot it. And because, in my opinion, and, and I'm making up my own rules, so I'm this is just yeah. in my own head what I'm telling myself, you know, since I had moved those birds myself and had hunted them up, it's not like I just saw it, parked the truck, got out and dropped the dog and shot it. Um, you know, I did count that one. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I'm curious on like your feeling about this because there's like the facts about there's there's facts and then there's like the feelings about something. So um, 
So like in Iowa, only 2% of our land is public and 40% of that 2% are ditches, right? So you're, you're talking about from a percentile, such a small percentage of our land that is public for hunting. And, you know, almost half of that are the ditches, but like, what is your feeling going through this? Like, have you been able to kind of easily find public lands like in each County so far? So, you know, Onyx has been a great tool, of course, and believe it or not, you know, those numbers that you and statistics you just threw out there are very real. And once again, just another thing that I'm up against. If you, if you yeah. look at everything I'm trying to do, every, literally everything is stacked against me in my goal. But at the same time, that's what motivates me and pushes me. And and believe it or not, with, with that being said, um, I haven't so far. And, you know, there may be some, I have ran into counties that have like literally two patches of public ground and I found a pheasant on them and have been able to get it done. But like you said, there's, there's not a ton of ground in the overall scheme of the state, but it seems like opportunities provide itself. There's, there's little pockets of opportunities all over, um, which is nice. So it's not like our 2% is in, you know, five counties in the state, so to speak. Um, yeah. But it definitely adds to the challenge to all of us public land hunters, whether you're deer, turkey, pheasant, any of that stuff, just the harsh reality of, of what Iowa is. Being an agricultural state, we'll just never have those huge public land numbers like in Montana. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I'm just curious about like how it's felt for you because like, you know, again, it's, it's very exactly what you said, you know, the, the public land isn't all it's spread out throughout the state, but there's definitely parts of the state that have more, that is more plush and like healthy and bigger and has better cover for pheasants than others. So um, I was just curious about your experience with that. And cause you know, something that, something that I have heard a lot and you like to deer hunt too. So you'll probably get where I'm going with this. So I've weirdly met probably, and I know them and I've befriended them. I probably know like five guys who are from Pennsylvania who moved to Iowa and are avid deer hunters. And if we ever get on the conversation of deer hunting, this is what they tell me all. And they're always from Pennsylvania. And I'm so sorry to my Pennsylvania friends. If this sounds like I'm stereotyping, but they've taught me a lot with this. So they're really into deer hunting, deer hunting. There's, there's a lot of, um, big deer in Pennsylvania, but there's a lot of deer hunters and there's only so much land and it's crowded and all this stuff. So they appreciate Iowa so much because even though we complain about how little land we have and all this stuff, they always like compare in Iowa, our public land is not nearly as crowded as other states and as much as we think it is. And we have big deer here, right? So I kind of think of that like in perspective, like in comparison, yeah, the numbers seem like really scary. And yeah, they could be better. Definitely. Definitely could be better. But I just think that's an interesting perspective. I know multiple people who have moved here just to deer hunt in Iowa because the pressure is so much lower, even though our public land is like not very high. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And also too, I don't, I don't know how, where this falls into the stats and the numbers, but Iowa DNR has done a phenomenal job, um, you know, in the last 10 years, I would say, in recruiting, retaining, and gaining um, 
walk-in access. So we have the IHAP program, as you know about stuff, but I'll just briefly explain it. For people that don't, that are listening, we have an Iowa Hunter Access program, and that's similar to like Kansas Weehaw walk-in access. And basically it's private ground that those um, farmers or landowners have enrolled in a lease with the Iowa DNR. I think it's typically about five years. Don't quote me on that. And they provide access, public land access, um, or, you know, access to hunters for public land hunting on their private ground. And so that's been a, that's been a, a nice element for my 99 County thing is they're not all on those grounds, but that has helped me in some of those counties where there's like no public land hunting. Um, We, we have some of that walk-in access, but it's, it's funny. I don't, I didn't, I had never heard that about Pennsylvania as far as the pressure goes, but I have, if I would say there's a number one state of people that reach out to me, it's Pennsylvania. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) And I think part of it is I hear from a lot of guys is it's, already a long drive to get to Iowa from Pennsylvania. So for some of those guys to even trek one more state over to South Dakota is just that much further, that much more gas, that many more miles. Yeah. So they stop yeah. here. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's just funny. You brought that up about Pennsylvania people. And I know they do like, I guess now that you say that and I kind of put everything together, I guess I have kind of heard that because they do pheasant stockings in Pennsylvania. And I guess those guys that just follow the truck around and they release the birds out and then they're just all, everybody runs out in the same field. I mean, they said it's literally like in their state, if there's nothing wrong with two guys getting out of the truck and just heading into the same field together, where in Iowa, I feel like common courtesy would be driving to the next spot. Like you would never really walk in on somebody hunting. Mm-hmm. At least that's how I was raised. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah interesting yeah. about pressure in Pennsylvania. I think there's just a lot, and, and what I get from it, from even you saying that, is what I, I'm assuming. I just think per state, um, I think there's a lot more outdoorsmen in Pennsylvania. Like, I think there's just a lot. Well, more and what's the population? You know what I mean? Like, what are yeah. what are we yeah. in the state of Iowa? A million people, three, two million people, three million. Yeah. Yep. Compared to Pennsylvania, which is probably what twenty million. I don't even know, but you yeah, know, yeah. More, I'm, more sure millions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure yeah. it's much bigger. I'm sure it's much bigger. Yeah. And they do have great, like, the landscape in Pennsylvania offers such a diversity of, like, Oh, animals. beautiful. Yeah. So When you got the Appalachian just, Trail that goes through there as well. And, yeah. yeah very diverse yep. landscape. Yeah. And, gosh, you just saying that, too, just, like, a little thing that I has nothing to do with really anything. But um, I've been really running my dogs a lot lately. One, to just, like, get some stress off my mind. And it's good for them. But then also, um, I'm actually doing a portion of the Appalachian Trail with both of my brothers in September. And um, I really need to get in shape. <laughs> so, bird dogs are good for that, too. <laughs> hike around and um, and uh, get that experience. But you got to, you know, I don't know. I'm oh, definitely a flatlander. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Me too. For sure. <laughs> Well, I have, I think what you're doing is amazing. And I, I, I am like really excited to follow along and see how you and your dogs do over the next years. I, I I love it, Nick. And I'm really glad that you're such an advocate for like just hunting in general and just sharing your knowledge and um, connecting with others. I think it's really important stuff. So before we let you go, um, 
would you have any like final like words of wisdom for us if someone's wanting to get into pheasant hunting or um kind of attack iowa pheasant hunting any words of wisdom i think the my biggest words of wisdom would be you know is don't be intimidated by the big open spaces and if anyone ever has questions don't hesitate to reach out to to anybody uh we kind of touched on it earlier um there's different people in the by no means do I consider myself a social media influencer, but you know, there's, there's different people that you can find and see on social media that have a high passion about whether it's pheasant hunting, turkey hunting, deer hunting, reach out to those people, send them questions. Like I said, I get questions all the time from people within the state, out of the state. I love talking to those people. I know other people like yourself, Steph, love fielding questions, answering questions. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking questions and if anything it's flattering to the person you're asking because it just shows that you respect them and their opinion and want to know more and so you know I think that's the biggest thing is don't be intimidated to just reach out a lot of us are here and want to help each other and we need each other to continue especially upland hunting we need each other to continue the conservation and just the sport in general because we are a little bit of a dying breed upland hunters um don't even get me started on trappers like <laughs> they're definitely a dying breed and so it's just like you know we all need each other and we're all in this together at the end of the day as frustrated as we may get with some other guys that are in our spot when they pull up to a public land field that we wanted to hunt and had marked you know for weeks before the season started it's we all need each other and just try to be respectful to each other and if anyone needs anything don't hesitate to reach out to myself and um would love to help in any way that i can Awesome. We appreciate that. And I will definitely share your information so everyone uh, can find you and follow you and hopefully reach out and learn from you too. Um, and I, I really look forward to hopefully I can maybe have you back and hear how your journey's going. I don't know, like a year down the road or after next season or something. Cause I, I just think, I think it is so awesome and gosh, what an, what a great way to like get to know your state and your and work with your dog and have your dog experience all different types of situations. I think that's a beautiful thing. So cool. Yeah, it's been so fun so far. And I appreciate people like yourself, Steph, reaching out and just sharing my story. Um, because, you know, like I mentioned earlier, at the end of the day, the, the whole legacy is hopefully way more beyond Nick Martin. And it's just a story about Iowa hunting and upland uh the journey of the uplands uh, in the state of Iowa and kind of how we hopefully keep moving in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. Well, don't sell yourself short. Um, Nick Martin is a, is a special person and what you're doing is special, but also you're going to inspire at least one person to do something differently or put themselves out there or try something or, you know, like it's going to, it has a ripple effect that you might not even ever see. Right. You know, you'll not, ne- you maybe never mm-hmm. will know. And I think that's what's so important about sharing um, your story and doing what you're doing. Cause it's, it, it, I think we all have like an importance here on this earth and like, there's something that we offer the world um, and, and we can help each other in such a beautiful way. So thank you so much for being here and just really appreciate it. Thank you, Nick, so much for being on the podcast. Thank you all of you for listening. If you have a second, please leave Woods and Waters Project a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you have questions, suggestions, uh, anything, you can reach out to me, hello at woodsandwatersproject.com. And until next time, get out there.